Even when months and days are long, life is short. A beautiful Japanese proverb, and actually one uttered by our next guest on this episode of Heal, conversations to guide you toward personal growth and overall well-being. much for joining me for this episode of Heal. You may not hear Brittany's voice because she is not here again, (laughs) but that's okay. I can carry the show on my own. Today we have a special guest all the way from up north. Her name is Susan Ball and she is a recovery after abuse expert. So I thought her coming on this um, podcast would be perfect fit. Um, for her to tell her story and to see how she has helped others in her journey. So welcome, Susan. Thank you for having me, Elizabeth. This is wonderful, actually. I love sharing my story and I love helping other women heal and recover. It's a big deal to me. It's my passion. I absolutely love that you love that. I love that too. Um, I feel like people who have been, people who decide to take the journey to help others especially with something so specific as recovery. And I'm sure we'll get into what kind of recovery, recovery from what, if it's something specific or more than one thing. But I think that people who choose that journey have gone through some of their own crap. So (laughs) it just makes you more empathetic, compassionate, kind, caring, and understanding. So I'd love to hear your story. Tell us everything or anything or nothing. I don't know. The reason why you're here is to talk. So I guess you have to talk now. Tell us everything. Your turn, your turn. I am the proud survivor of four abusive relationships, intimate relationships. And the last one, number four, he he attempted to murder me. Oh my God. I prefer to say that out loud, and I'll get into why in a minute, rather than saying he physically assaulted me. He attempted to kill me that night. He strangled me to blacking out. I ran to the police station. It was wintertime in Canada. And we all know what that's like if you live I in I can Northern only imagine. Northern. Fall time in Canada seems like it would be cold and bitter. Yes. And I ran to the police station with him on my tail, yelling that he was going to kill me. And Jesus. So and the police, it was a small town. The police actually heard all the commotion, saw what was happening, and, and they opened the door. And he ran right up behind me grabbed me and this little female cop put him on the ground in one shot and you're like can you teach me how to do that (laughs) can we talk about this it was like so beautiful anyway he was arrested uh all of that kind of stuff but after that happened of course there's all the court stuff and there's the dividing of property and there's the loneliness and there's the sorrow and this had been my fourth time and two little girls and so on and so forth. I heavily started to drink and take drugs. I just went- Well, of course, you know, you just want to escape your reality at this point. Uh, Yeah. I can only, I can't, I can't imagine, but I can only imagine what you must be feeling at this stage about yourself, never mind the whole situation, you know? Yeah, it was, you know, obviously I, I was, I was feeling this. Obviously, Susan Ball, you are extremely unlovable there's something wrong with you so you may as well just you know let let it be what it's going to be drink yourself to death or or you know and of course there was all the bad boys I was seeing didn't care if I got some sort of crud from them I was just completely in this zone of but you obviously felt unloved and unlovable so you weren't taking the best care and making the best decisions for yourself yeah no And my girls had gone to live with their dad for a while because that was one of my other relationships. So they had gone there. But in all of this was this mandatory court-ordered group counseling that I had to go to for domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And when I would go, and you had to go because you had to be checked in, it was a group of women who all sat around sharing their stories in a competitive fashion. Oh, that's not healthy. 
No, we all felt like, oh yeah, well, I can one-up you, sister. This is what happened to me. Not once did this counselor, therapist, or any this, whatever he or she was, depending on the day, said to us, do you have any goals? What are you doing to take care of yourself? How are you loving yourself? Uh, how are you getting back on your feet? Nothing about the future, nothing about being grounded in the present. It was all this story of abuse. It was just mm -hmm. a constant. And when I would go somewhere and I, I would be angry or I would be upset, people would say to me, well, Susan, you're a victim of domestic violence. So I was, it was like wearing the scarlet V on mm -hmm. my neck. Mm -hmm. I'm a victim. Mm -hmm. I'm going to drink some more booze because I'm right, just continue to perpetuate that feeling of, <laughs> um, you know, this is just who I am. So when I would go to court, I had to go to a place called victim services. Like everything was about wearing this, this label. But then one night this, I was, I lived in a furnace room. Only one friend would give me a place to stay after all the running away. And literally, it was a curtain off area with the furnace right beside me and a, a pullout cot. And I was sitting there very drunk, <laughs> feeling very sorry for myself. And this little voice in my head said, well, Susan, who's the common denominator in all these relationships? Oh, shit. That's real stuff. And I went, well, you just F off. You. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoever's speaking Whoever to me. <laughs> you just go away. Because we're not going down that personal responsibility road at right, all. Right, right. Right? Yeah. So that put an earworm in there, just kind of did that. And then oddly enough, shortly after that, of course, I was still in my victim mode. I was still not moving into the future or working towards any goals. I ran into an old family friend. <laughs> Hadn't seen her in 20 years. It's like, oh, my God, her name was Elizabeth. Oh, her name Elizabeth she hasn't left us her name is Elizabeth <laughs> we're like oh let's have a coffee let's you know go and do it. so we go and do this coffee thing and this is a true story she said so what's new so what do I jump into my victim story my tragic of course story? this is what's happened to me yeah yes so <laughs> she's got a coffee cup with a spoon and she's tinking the spoon louder and louder and louder as I'm talking on purpose on purpose. Oh so my gosh, go, I, go ahead. Yeah, I'm excited to hear this. Go ahead. So I, I'm I literally stopped. on the I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm like, oh, well, she's she's like a witch. Her. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> how rude. This is my victim story. How dare yeah. you yeah. You know, interrupt it? So I said, Elizabeth, that's kind of rude doing that. And she said, Well, your story's fucking boring. Oh my God, I love her. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean that your story is boring, but boy, did that probably like wake you up and be like, what am I doing? Yes. Yeah. Well, oh first God. I got angry. Well, first of all, let me just tell Elizabeth when I said, oh my God, she's a witch. I meant that in the most positive way. Like she was clearly, she was clearly using her power to bring that attention to you. Like, look what you're doing. And maybe she wasn't doing that on purpose, but it certainly did, didn't it? It did. And I was angry. And I thought, oh, and I said to her, I got up and I said, well, I haven't seen you in 20 years. Another 20 years can go by and I don't want to see your face and blah. And I stormed out of the restaurant and oh, went on my shoot. way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But between the Susan, who is the common denominator and Elizabeth, who, by the way, anybody who's listening, Elizabeth, who said that to me, was a true friend to me. The rest of them Absolutely. were they were happy. Absolutely. They were she saw what was going on and she wanted to, to show you like what you're saying is, well, I don't know what she was doing, but I love her. Well, uh, I will tell you. Yeah. Three days later, I yeah. called her. Good. Three days later. Because yeah. I wanted an explanation. I wanted an apology. <gasps> and she picked up the phone. She had a business and she said, I knew you'd call. And I said, well, I think you owe me an apology. And she said, no. No, I don't. If you want to explore it any further, let's, we can talk about it. So I literally went to her office and what she is, is a master trainer of NLP. Oh, wow. So I said, what's this NLP stuff? What's all this shizzle that you're talking about? I don't understand. And she said, well, I will gift you your certification. If you promise me that you will use it to explore your victim story and to heal your past childhood abandonment issues. I don't have abandonment, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I'll take your free gift. 
And I was so resistant at first. I was like, oh, this is nonsense. This is complete crap. That's so funny. <laughs> no, I, and she kept saying to me, stop resisting. Just sit there and go with this. And anyway, I ended up, I'm now a master NLP practitioner. That's so and great. It was, and it was her that jump-started this whole thing where I started. Yeah, she knew exactly what she was doing. Yes. Yeah. Thank yes. God for her. Oh, I am grateful to her. She wrote the dedication. And she was she was my dedication in my book. She wrote the intro. What's your book? What's your book's called? What is the title of your book? Courage and Grace. Purge? Courage. Oh, it's oh, your little accent. <laughs> Courage and grace or in grace? And A-N-D, grace. Thank you. And she oh, wrote oh. the foreword in there. And she wrote, quite honestly, about our meeting after 20 years of not seeing each other and how she was listening and felt, and she felt that the most empathetic thing she could do was stop me. Well, because you were on a pattern, a victim pattern, victim yeah. mode. You know, that's not healthy for anybody. Of course, you need to be validated in what happened and how you were feeling, but perpetuating that mindset is not healthy. Like what no, do you, okay, yeah. It was stopping me from doing everything. I wasn't really looking for a job. I didn't have a place to live. I was still in the furnace room. I was visiting with my children, of course, when I could sober up long enough to see them, but I wasn't making any inroads to get them back. Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth and none of this stuff was happening and no one was encouraging me and when I would get frustrated and I would go and see my counselor quote unquote at the domestic violence victims services place every time I would say to her I'm not moving forward in my life I need some help to move forward I want to stop drinking I want to basically I want to stop feeling sorry for myself every time she would say to me Susan you're a victim of domestic violence it was a horrible experience well yes I know that I lived it right but I want to so strange I, does she have a license <laughs> I know you gotta she, wonder oh I mean it's but one that, thing to say you were a victim you know like give yourself some compassion and grace courage courage and grace and compassion and but then now what can we do to move forward? Like, what do you want to want to do in 10 years? What do you want to do in five years? Like, where do you want to be? Yeah, they had a complete mindset of not doing that. They're, they're moving a little bit away from that with people like me ramping up what's happening, what, what we do and saying, come on, these, these women who go through this and men who go through this do not have to live the rest of their lives labeled as this victim of something. No, why would you? It's also not healthy for the body. Energetically, no. it's not good to be in victim mode. It's a lower vibrating emotion, feeling, energy. And you just want to be, I don't know, uplifted and more positive about things. So using oh, I, your, you know, like using this story to help others or at least sharing your story will help with that. Become out of the victim mode. As long as you share it in a way that is not, victim i always sense? say to people when i start speaking to them that before before i say a word and i start <laughs> a speaking engagement i will say i want you all to know that i lived at the end of the laneway on victimhood in the victimhood in the victimhood with the darkest black curtains and never saw daylight i completely mm -hmm. understand how you all feel mm -hmm. it's not a healthy place to live it's a bad hood Mm -hmm. It's very hard to live in. And you've moved out. And I've moved out. <laughs> moved out. So you ended up taking this course, which changed your life. Yeah. Um, and you wrote a book, clearly. Didn't even know about that little surprise. Um, but, now, <laughs> but now you're on the way to help others as well. So how long was the period of time where you met Elizabeth in the coffee shop? And... Um, when you finished the program, what length of time was that roughly? I don't know why I'm asking. I'm just curious. About 10 months. 
Yeah. So you spent a good 10 months. Did you do anything else in that meantime to help you to um, change your mindset about how you felt about yourself? Yes, I did. I actually got a job, which was really interesting. Um, And I remember I tried... (laughs) You know, in the beginning, it was really hard for me and hard for a lot of people to give up the victim label and the mindset because there is a lot of value in it. You can get a lot of attention or what you think is attention at the time. It's not healthy, but you think it is. And I remember when I got my first job and I was very corporate. I, I had very corporate jobs before all of this happened. Got this job, entry level, big office tower, downtown Toronto, blah, blah, blah. And I remember... One day I was just wanted to be miserable. I wanted to be my victim self. And I went into my boss's office and I remember his name. I remember him clearly. And I shut the door and I turned on the tears. And I said, you may not know this about me. And I started into my story and he handed me a box of Kleenex. And he said, well, (laughs) wipe your tears and get back to work. I don't give a shit. (laughs) Sorry. I'm like, oh my God, it didn't work. (laughs) That's wonderful obviously i'm failing at being able to do this so i recognize that that it doesn't serve you anymore yeah it doesn't serve you anymore no (laughs) you're so lucky to have people along the way who really did call you out on that you know um as gently or as abruptly as those two seemingly did you know like okay here's tissues go take care of yourself go to the bathroom clean yourself up yeah get back to work (laughs) yeah you even said to me go get a coffee take a walk come back yeah Wow. Okay. So you were in this 10 month, you got a job. Um, did you do any other like spiritual work or anything, or just learn this program? And from this program that helped you to realize. What I did, one of the things I did, and one of the things I talk about with all my clients is in that time when I was learning about me and I was exploring my childhood and I was exploring all of the issues that were kind of Uh, trapping me into bad relationships I discovered part of my authenticity which had been corrupted and um, squashed and invalidated all my life so spiritually I claimed who I was I was a pagan and I had I loved nature and nature was my my spiritual what, what would you call it? my church I suppose in a way I was gonna say it's the place where you go to heal it's a place where you go yeah. to feel connected it's a it's just you feel like uh the word you used authentic there or real or grounded or whatever um, whatever yeah yeah I say music is my gospel like the certain band that I listen to everything they say to me is oh and the beach so the beach is like my nature your nature for me the ocean but um Everything they sing about, I always say, even if it sounds like a love song, it's not. It's about my my higher self speaking to my lower self and just coming to that, you know, alignment. Um, so music is like that for me. Yeah. But I've also and, done and- things like, you know, meditation and energy stuff. And I was wondering if you dabbled in any of that stuff. And it's okay and if you meditation. haven't. <laughs> meditation yeah. for sure. I used yeah. to lead guided meditation for or women who were really anxious or, you know, coming out of a toxic relationship or in toxic relationships and wanted to have a bit of a um, leisure time, I suppose, relaxation time. Um, I'm actually have my level two Reiki training. Ooh, that excites and, me. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was, well, I, I guess I am still, but it was a while ago. I learned about essential oils and got my certification in essential oils. Mm-hmm. So I was making concoctions and I was making things to spray in the house. My girls thought I was crazy. I completely lost my mind. <laughs> Let's go for a walk in the forest and then come home and spray this stuff all over. <laughs> You're speaking my love language. <laughs> And but that was what moved me into the next level of my healing to the the peak of my healing to this ultimate place. The first one was admitting who I was. So for my whole teenage years, I was really, really put down for being a hippie. For for you know what's really funny? Like that word for some reason bothers me. 
I know it's just okay. like it. Yeah, it classifies a group of people who are like love and let love and li or live and yeah. let live and and what's so what's I don't know where does that word come from? Some people call what I do woo woo, and that bothers me too. And I, I'm trying not to let those those labels bother me. It's like this isn't way out there. This well, it shouldn't be. I suppose it shouldn't feel like it's something that's way out there. And I almost feel like the word hippie is does that for me, it puts someone out there, like they're out there, they're not with us, you know? And I don't think that's the case at all. If anything, they're probably the most down to earth. Well, see, and that's where I was. People put me down for being a hippie and it became this negative label. Yeah. And then one day I was walk, taking a walk and I said, Susan, you are a hippie. You Embrace love it. <laughs> Embrace it, own it. Yeah. So that the next time when somebody said to me, oh, you're such a hippie, I go, yeah, I'm proud of it. Yeah. Instead of owning it as this negative space, it was a positive, authentic feeling. Yeah. Like, and if you don't like hippies, don't hang out with me because that's yeah. who I am. Well, if that's, if you got to call it something, call it that, whatever, you know, yeah. well, I, I don't know. That's, yeah. I just, I don't understand. I don't know. I guess we make sense of things by putting labels on things, I guess. Um, and we all do it. Um, but sometimes with a label can come judgment or a st negative stigma. And, and, and it's, I don't like that. <laughs> In NLP, we have a saying, labels are for clothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I definitely am a compartmentalize, put things in their boxes, but certainly open and flexible to shift the box, like move it into a different box, whatever. Um, it's just how my brain makes sense of the world. But again, the other side of the brain of, in my head is, flexible and empath again i keep using this word today for some reason but empathetic compassionate understanding try to see things from someone else's perspective oh there goes my cat <laughs> he just meowed really loud this is what my animals do i start talking and they're like oh hello are you talking to me <laughs> um anyways well i'm glad you're a hippie <laughs> I'm, I'm proud to be a hippie now I, I don't find it negative at all but like I said for years I found it very negative I didn't want to portray that I wanted my family to see me as mature and I don't know all the things that they wanted me to be and then when I reflected on it, it was like no that's not who I wanted to be no, it's when not I who you are up, it's not who you are when right. I was growing up I can remember <laughs> my mother and my sisters and my sisters are 10 years and 15 years older than me so there's quite a yeah. gap yeah. sitting at the table and they're talking to me of course they always talk down to me <laughs> and it was like well Susan what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up because it was at this serious moment I was probably 10 or oh, I had geez. to think of it and I said oh oh I want to be like Diane Fossey and live with the gorillas well that just spurred a whole bunch of you can't do that. You need to be a secretary. You need to learn shorthand and typing. And this, no, I want to be like Diane Bossy. That's so <laughs> wild. And you knew that at 10. Yeah. I wanted and then, to be and then you were Bossy. squashed, 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 yeah. squashed. <laughs> and you know what I became? A secretary. Oh, perfect. <laughs> we always live up to the expectations people have of us, good or bad or indifferent. Yep. Yep. <sighs> Well, what we never do is live up to the expectations we have of ourselves. We have to really start turning inward. Yes. And you know what? That's the difficult part of the journey of recovery. I think for anyone is that inward journey. And I always say to everyone, it's not to blame and shame your parents or to go and have a toe-to-toe -to -toe argument with them about how could you do that? It's not about that. As a matter of fact, I came out of all of this recovery work I did on myself and knowledge of myself, inner work loving my parents even more than I had before I had a deeper understanding of where they came from well they, what, they we all do the best that we can with what we know at the time and even though from an outsider's perspective it may seem like we're making all the wrong decisions we think that we're doing exactly what we well we're doing our best so it is what it is um you and with your kids you know at the time you were doing the best that you could it's just, it is what it is. And when you start to realize that and you give that grace to your parents, then you do have a little bit more compassion for them and understanding. And we, just like a victim mentality, we blame, you know, our past for our, our issues now. 
and yeah, maybe they are what caused us to make these decisions in our head, you know, this happened. So I have to be like this. Um, but we can change that. <laughs> we can change that. So this happened. So I don't have to make those decisions. Now I can, I know differently now. And, and the moment, you know, the truth or your authentic self, you can't go back. And when you try to go back on that, then you're out of alignment and you can feel it mentally, physically, spiritually. I think, did that make yeah, sense? I agree. <laughs> no, I agree because now, uh, I guess in a sense, no one can sway me off my authentic place where what I know about myself. Right. So you can't truly go back to being unless you wanted to, and there's nothing wrong with this, but you really can't go back to that corporate world that, you know, go back in that nine to five, maybe you can, um, but it wouldn't be in your true alignment. Like it wouldn't be who you truly are deep down. So that would be you know, a hard thing for you to do if you had to. Oh, it would be horrifying. And when I looked back and when I was doing my healing journey, I recognized that that was not for me, nine to five structured. You think about a hippie and a bohemian, that is completely opposite to how their brain works. So to yeah. me, if I went to a corporate job now, it would have to be, well, you know, I'm going to kind of show up when I feel like it. I'm going to leave when I feel like it, which could be four hours from now or 10 hours from now, depending on if I'm in the zone and I'm working. But this structured be there at this time, leave at this time for your lunch, leave at this time to go home. No, no, no. And I realized that I was never very successful. I only went so far. And I always thought it was the glass ceiling for women that stopped me from going farther. But it wasn't. It was the fact that I wasn't, I wasn't in love with this way of life. I wasn't vibing with this way of life. It was contradictory to everything I was and who I am. Mm -hmm. And but I didn't know that at the time, because I had been conditioned as a young girl and a child to do that. Right. Right. And we all were. Yeah. Well, most of us were. Yeah. Yeah. You know, That's you amazing. work nine to five, you work hard yeah. to get ahead, you buy a yeah. house, you get a picket fence, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I was taught yeah. not, I didn't need to go to college because you don't need to go to college to have a successful career and you need to go right to work. So I didn't go to college right away. But, you know, to get the job that I really wanted, I needed to go back to, to school. I had to get a degree. So I went to, and I was the first person to get my um, undergrad in my family and first to get my master's so I could teach. Yeah. So I had to. I also really wanted to. So that's why I had to, because I couldn't get those jobs without those certifications and degrees and education. So there's that. And now I'm not teaching at all. <laughs> And I went back to school at a very elevated age and actually took primatology and anthropology and That's all of so those cool. things that I wanted to take to be Diane Fossey. Because <laughs> damn it. And that was part of my authentic journey to wellness as well. Yeah, I agree. So you felt, your whole story falls right in line with this at the uh, heel, you know, H, honor your past, use a little bit of humor, of course, E, educate. Um, and we talked about energy and being authentic is exactly what aligning your energy to who your true self is. And A, being aware, meditating and adapting. Um, I should add authenticity to my A. Thank you, yeah. Susan. Um, and L, of course, is living in the present. Um, and you're not, you're not dwelling on that victim mentality and all those things that happened. You're actually using that to move forward and help others. You're just a perfect guest. So this is what I, with my clients, I have a little, it's, it's not like a mantra, but it's the way that I work. And the first step part of it is that your past lives over your left shoulder. It lives over your left shoulder and it is there for reference. Yes, you can refer to it. You can not look at the residents. It's not for residents. It's only for reference. Yeah. You can you feel free to use that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. You are grounded in the present. So we get you grounded in this moment in time to feel your emotions, to feel and learn and do what you need to do. But your focus is on the future. 
So your past is behind you. It's over your left shoulder. It's for reference only. You're grounded in the present and you're focused on the future. And when you get into that mode and when your past starts to creep up and you can say, no, no, you're back over here over my left shoulder. I will talk to you later. But right now I'm in the present and I'm working on the future. You're in full recovery. You're really moving into the next level. I love that. So on, because you just mentioned your clients and how you help serve um, them, I'm going to, I think it's a perfect opportunity to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about what you actually, a little bit more in depth, maybe about um, how you do help people now. Does that sound okay? All right. All right. We'll be right back. If you're in the Mansfield, Massachusetts area and are looking for a space for yoga, meditation, great workshops, and life coaching support, check out Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. Mainstream even has a couple of virtual options if you don't live close by. Check out their offerings at MainstreamMeditation.com. You can also follow Mainstream Coaching and Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. The name is Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. And we're back. Thank you so much for joining us again. I'm here with Susan Ball. She is a recovery after abuse expert, and she had just told us about her past, her story, and how she got to what where she is today. And I'm so excited to learn more about how she helps people now. So using her past, using her experiences, and now her training to help her clients today. So I know that your website is recoveryafterabuse.ca and I'll put those those things in the um, podcast notes, but people should visit your website if they're curious and interested, but tell us a little bit about how you help people now. So I work exclusively with women. No no diss to the guys out there. That's all right. I know that you're going through. I, I don't know if they're listening. <laughs> Just yeah. I have a lot of men who reach out and, and yeah, I get it. They're going through it too, especially yeah. emotional abuse. So yeah. respect and love to all of them. Right. But I work exclusively with women because that's what I know. That's my personal experience. I know what that feels Makes like sense. from that in a heterosexual relationship. And I know the dynamic of that relationship. So to me, that's very important. It's key. How do I work with them? Well, we start with one of the things that I emphasize in my healing practice with clients is the truth, the absolute truth. Because when you're in an abusive relationship, there's a lot of lying going on, an awful lot of lying, mostly to ourselves, mostly and to other people, but Mm -hmm. mostly to ourselves, we lie a lot. So the first thing that we do is there's all the red flags that we see. And everybody talks about the red flags. Mm-hmm. And as someone who has childhood wounds or worthiness wounds or abandonment wounds or wh- wherever they get classified, we take those red flags and we immediately go, oh, well, I'm going to minimize that one, deny that one and rationalize that one. So in other words, we're going to lie about all of them. Right. Going to keep going. Now, I lied about some doozies. We all <laughs> lie to ourselves. We all lie to ourselves about things, don't we? We do. And when I look back at them and I tell some of the stories, I tell it with humor because I want women who are going through this to not look back on it with shame and judgment and guilt, but to look back on it and think, wow, I really did that. I really said that to myself. No judgment, just the truth. You did that. You Right. <laughs> I can tell stories about the red flags with the guy who tried to kill me that would just blow your mind. All right, because in hindsight, you're like, duh, you know, duh, duh. Of course. It was like a bull, like, Toro, 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 don't (laughs) go there. (laughs) Did it anyway. But because what you believed in yourself, what you thought about yourself, played so much into allowing all of this stuff to continue. Because, you know, you're like, I don't, I I must be doing something bad or wrong here. So, you know, that's just so sad. it's a distorted definition of love and it's a, a, a familiarity with the drama and the trauma of bad relationships. Cause if you've come from that, from a child, 
you only know that. So you look at it and you think, well, you know, I mean, when you, when I look back, my mom was emotionally not available and I would deny, rationalize and minimize her lack of availability. It's the same thing I did with all my male relationships, right? The pattern was learned. It was a protector part when I was growing up. I used that protector part in, in my intimate relationships, much to the fact that I, to my almost death. That's how convicted I was in that belief. Right. So what we work on is the truth, the truth about us. And I get them to start using words that at first are uncomfortable. So for example, many women will come to me and say, well, I think that when we were together, he may have sexually assaulted me. And I will say, did he rape you? Well, yes, there was several times I said, no, but I, I, you know, rape, I mean, no, he raped you. And that's why you use the words, he tried to kill me or he attempted to murder me. Is that why you, yeah, because in your mind, you could probably be more, use different words, but that that would give him a little bit more of like, it's okay what he did, Uh, you know? Yeah. And again, it's that minimizing, denying and rationalizing the behavior. Right. Right. So if I say, you know, and, and this came up in counseling, when I go to these things, they would say to me, well, yes, that's just typical of physical abuse. No, when I started my healing journey, no, this man attempted to murder me. If I had been a stranger on the street, Elizabeth, okay, regardless of what, and yeah, maybe it is normal of domestic violence, but, <laughs> but shouldn't we stop that attempted murder? Like, but even we... in the courts, they don't call it that. Yeah. They call it domestic violence. He gets charged with domestic violence. I can remember saying to the crown attorney, to the lawyer who was defending me or prosecuting him or whatever he was doing, I said, I actually said to him, and it didn't dawn on me at the time, I said, but isn't he going to be charged with attempted murder? Oh, no, no, no. Because it's domestic violence, it goes into- It doesn't matter who the players are. The action is what matters. Yes. That's interesting. And it's not called rape. It's called at best sexual assault, or um, there's another term for it that I can't remember now. That's okay. And as I went through my recovery, I'm thinking, no, he raped me. Mm -hmm. If it had been someone else- I would have used that word. Excellent point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you should start uh, working on changing the wording of the law up there in Canada. Oh, me too. This, one of my pet peeves, and I do talk to different lawyers and different, uh, the powers that be in these things. But the problem is they're all very uncomfortable to do that. They feel that it's not, and, and this is next pet peeve, not protecting the victims. Well, I think you're that doesn't make sense. Doesn't make I sense. know. <laughs> Maybe because the victims are majority women. But if it was another oh. rape, wouldn't they say in front of the victim that she was raped? Hmm. Like, there's a disconnect somewhere. There's a disconnect that I, I don't quite understand where it has come, whether it's um, the patriarchy, because our court system is, is you know, made in that sense. It's the patriarchy, and they don't want to go down that road saying that husbands this, rape wives. This reminds me of this thing that I saw recently, and I commented on it, and I think I may have offended someone. I don't know. But I, I didn't say anything offensive. They, someone recently posted on Facebook, my favorite place to hang out. Um, And it was like, it's, you know, we're changing the clocks back. So it's going to be dark. Ladies, make sure your keys are ready. Your head, you're focused on who's around you. Make sure I'm like, why don't we teach the people who are attacking the ladies not to do that? And I, I commented and I'm like, I appreciate that. And yes, we should be more aware. And yes, our head should be up and looking around. But why on earth do we have to, 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 to do that? So it sort of reminded me of that. 
you know, another one that I, I just hate, I hate, I hate, I hate, and I post it every once in a while on Facebook and it gets a huge, the, all the guys get really upset. Boys will be boys is not an excuse for abuse, bad behavior, ignorance, or any of that stuff. I hate that statement. I have heard mom say it in playgrounds, even to this freaking day. Well, boys you know, we lived for four, we lived for four years with a boys will be boys leader in our country. And that was... Well, Mm. I think now that people are, have give, have been given the um, permission to act even poorly, more poorly because of that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get political, but that's where I stand. Like just because, you know, we elected that guy. Um, not all of us did, but you know, his behavior is reprehensible, especially toward women and yes. people with disabilities and people of color and, you know, not people who, like people who don't look like him. So I'm gonna stop right now before I get myself in trouble. But um, it's a shame, it's a shame. Yeah, and we don't do enough work around that, but we also don't do enough work teaching girls and boys um, what a healthy relationship is. Yep. In grade school, it should start in grade school something I'm passionate about and hopefully working toward being a school teacher and teaching five-year-olds to be kind and caring and compassionate as well as how to read and write. Um, you know, like those, the, it's just, I always would say to them, I don't care if you're not best friend, like you don't have to be someone's best friend, but you have to be nice. Mm -hmm. Period. Um, yeah. That's an epidemic of mean behavior and it makes there me is. sad mm -hmm. and then there's a whole bunch of labels that go with girls i just did an interview around this one which is kind of interesting girls you're either frigid or a slut there's no, there's no gray area oh. if you stand up for yourself you're a bitch so you can't yeah. have boundaries no nope. good girls don't and there's a whole list of good girls don't so if you're not doing if you do any of those things you flip automatically into the bad girl side <laughs> and nobody wants you and we have all of these things are just like drive me crazy then there's no gray area for girls and women to or purple area, or as I like to say, look at your life as shades of whatever color you love. That's right. So it's not black and white necessarily. It can be shades of purple. <laughs> right. And my life is shades of purple. Mine is too. And my hair <laughs> is shades of purple too. <laughs> yeah. Purple's the best. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's like a, it's a healing color. It is. <sighs> so to recap, you do have a book called Courage and Grace, which I'm so excited about hearing. Um, you have a website where people can connect with you at recoveryafterabuse.ca. Do you happen to have any social media um, public type accounts that you would want people to follow if they were um, inclined? Yes, I have a Facebook, oh, okay. I have a Facebook page. Um, is it your name or is it um, something? No, special? I think it's, it's called Recovery After Abuse. Okay. Same with my Facebook group, which has about 3,500 women in it, which is a sad statement on society, but. So grateful that it's there for them though. Yeah. So yep. I get it. Yep. I have a YouTube channel. <gasps> is it Recovery After Abuse? No, it's actually Susan Ball. You gotta throw it. You gotta throw a wrench in the whole operation, Susan. I know my Instagram is susan.ball.ca as well. So Susan Ball is your YouTube, and you have an Instagram. I'm gonna go follow you. Instagram susan.ball.ca. Correct. Got it. it. I'll make I'll make sure all of that gets in the podcast notes as well. So if you are listening, you don't need to stop your car and write it down. <laughs> you can just Can you look imagine? At the Oh, that would be fabulous if people were listening and they stopped their car and just wrote everything down. Um, it really wouldn't be fabulous, but it'd be like, oh yeah, they're listening to the podcast. 
All right, Susan, are you prepared to answer some of my questions? I mean, sure the am. ones that I ask everyone, not the ones that I just asked you. All right. When you are feeling most peaceful, I think I'm going to know the answer to this one. What are you doing when you feel at peace? I am outside, either in my garden, sitting in a chair, soaking up the sun, listening to the birds. I am somewhere in the natural environment. Yeah. Walking on the beach. Mm -hmm. Same. Anywhere where there's nature. Nature. <laughs> Okay. And do you have a, I always say self-help book, but it can really be any book that you felt really was pivotal in your life um, that you would recommend to anyone. Hey, if it's your own, it's okay too. A book that was pivotal in my life. <laughs> well, my most recent book that I just love, I quote from all the time, and I can't remember the author is Unfuck Your Life. Um, is it Unfuck Yourself? Yes, that's it. Okay, is it Gary John Bishop? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I love that book because he speaks like I do. Like, stop being mm -hmm. all babyish and victimy and and get on mm -hmm. with it. Because you know, there's this famous saying that has come up recently, and it, it's so true. And anybody who is waiting for someday first, it doesn't exist. There's only today, but there's this saying days are long life is short so whatever you're thinking you want to do down the road or just wait until he just gets do better, it just do it it's short this existence is short mm -hmm. i agree mm -hmm. yeah um so i listened to that book on audible because that's typically what i do i uh learned in later in life that i have a hard time comprehending if i read from paper especially from the computer um of course, I can understand what I'm reading. However, listening is so much better for me. So listen, listen to his book and his accents. Fabulous. Cause he's Scottish, I think, or something. Yeah. And it's just like, I think I need subtitles. Like I need the book. Where's the book? Cause I couldn't understand half of what he was saying, but I loved that book. That's a great book. Um, it's a great book. It is. Um, he also wrote another one that I listened to, I think. Um, of course, here I am looking on my Audible account. Audible, feel free to pay me for that plug. Um, <laughs> let's see if I can, if it's even, uh, I don't know. Give me a second, everybody. Watch, I won't be able to find it. But that is such a great book. Um, it's just like no nonsense. And you're like, it yeah. Is. You know, like you hear it and you're like, I know my sister and I have this saying that we use all the time. Yep. There's unfuck yourself. Where's do I have another one of his. Um, if you've ever seen when Harry met Sally and um, it's a movie. Did you see that one with uh, Tom Hanks and Meg, Meg Griffin? Meg, what's her name? Meg Griffin. I think it's Meg. I don't know. Anyways. She's talking to her friend and she says, he's never gonna leave her. And every time we say something that's true, it is. Hi there. Hi. So I don't know what the last thing was that you heard. Tell me. I heard that we were looking for another book. Stop doing that shit. That's what it's called. And it's actually something I could say to Zoom right now. Stop doing that shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I have to look that one up. Thank yeah, you. it's a good one. It's yeah. good. I yeah. think it has to do with like bad habits or, you know, like making decisions. Self-sabotaging behaviors? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I'll it's about self-sabotaging. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> stop doing that shit that's one of the the things that because I, I do a lot of journaling with my clients and I and I actually wrote a journal and I have journal prompts and all that kind of stuff and the one that I get them to do every day in the beginning is five things I need to stop doing today five things I need to start doing today so they they say, well they you know that saying if you if you just if oh, what is it it's about um you choose uh, if you choose not to do something it's also a choice I don't know it's another saying about yeah yeah you know, like, yeah, yeah yeah do the things all right 
So let's move on because who knows, you know, there's a storm here today and it's really windy. So I'm wondering if that's playing around with my internet. <laughs> Could be. Okay. If money wasn't an object, what would you be doing? Oh, well, I, living and traveling throughout Europe. That sounds like fun. I'll go with you. Yes. But you'd have to pay for me because <laughs> money's oh, okay. not an well, object. Okay, well, if money was you. an object, I would. <laughs> right. That's what I mean. All right. Well, Susan, it has really been such a joy to get to know you. Um, for those of you who listen to the podcast, I don't know if you know this, but I don't know any of most of the people that I interview. So I get to know them at the same time that you get to know them for the most part. There have been a few guests at the beginning of this season that I definitely knew ahead of time. Um, but Susan, I never knew before. We just met on Facebook. So <laughs> it, was such, it was such a joy to talk to you and get to know your story. And I know that your story will will resonate with so many. And I'm so grateful that you're doing work now to help others. So thank you, Susan. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And everyone else, I'll be back again in just a second. And here I am. I am back, just came back to say one more time, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited that you enjoy this podcast and keep coming back for more. We can't wait to see you next time. But until then, may you be happy, healthy, safe, and live a life that's filled with ease. Thank you. Bye.